All that being said, I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the gift that it is to us. And I pray, as already has been prayed, that you would give us the, the mind and the heart to be able to hear it uh, with, with humility, that we would seek to be uh, sanctified, that we would seek to be corrected and encouraged. God, we need your word. There is no other source of truth. And, and I pray that you would help us to be focused, that, that we as a church would long to set our, ourselves before your word and, and to be uh, corrected and admonished and instructed by it. And, and thank you for Christ. And I pray this in his name. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. I'm going to just reference a couple passages of scripture. Uh, but if you if you have your Bibles, you can begin turning to Colossians chapter one. Uh, so Philippians one says this for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10 says this, whether you eat or drink, do all things for the glory of God. And Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. One of the things that all of these passages have in common uh, is that they hit on the way in which that we should live and view our lives here on this planet, that we would give glory to God. If we were to say, what is my job? What is my responsibility? What is my purpose? Is that we would give glory to God, that we exist to glorify God. Our lives, our years, our days, our hours, our moments ought to be about the glory of God. God's purposes in all things must be ours. As believers, we should be about God. To quote uh, our Lord's prayer, not our will, but yours be done. We have been given breath today so that we can be used for the glory of God. And this ought to be your life's truest desire. This ought to be our prayer at night. When we put our heads on the pillow, God, help me glorify you tomorrow. This moment, this, sorry, this morning, uh, we're going to consider this reality. And in one of the ways in which God glorifying focus plays itself out in our everyday lives. You know, because as we consider, I need to live for the glory of God can almost sound like a like a high-minded thought. Okay, but practically, what does that look like? And so uh, we're going to be looking at one of the ways that that fleshes itself out. Uh, Simply put, we must be about the sanctification of those around us. That's what we're going to be looking at today, that we must be about the sanctification of those who are around us. If my greatest desire in life is that God would be glorified, then my goal is, towards my fellow man and woman, must be that they would be glorifying God the most. I should be looking towards those around me and seeking to help them learn and grow and fight and live and walk and talk and think like a mature believer who is glorifying the Lord. Consider this. If you are about God receiving glory, then you will want to encourage that in the lives of everyone around you. I'm going to read that again. If you are about God receiving glory, then you will want to encourage that in the lives of everyone around you. One pastor writes, 
The supreme way in which God chose to glorify himself was through the redemption of sinful men. And it is through participation in that redemptive plan that believers themselves most glorify God. Therefore, the believer who desires to glorify God, who wants to honor God's supreme will and purpose, must share God's love for the lost and share in his mission to redeem the lost. Christ came into the world that he loved and sought to win sinners to himself for the Father's glory. As Christ's representatives, we are likewise sent into the world that he loves to bring the lost to him and thereby bring glory and honor to God. Our mission is the same as that of the Father and of the Son. Sorry. (laughs) If you are about God receiving the glory, then you will want to encourage that in the lives of everyone around you. From unbelievers, you share Christ with them, that they would then turn and, and be granted faith and live lives for his glory. To believers, that they would be the most mature versions of who God created that person to be running their race. And this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, Paul is going to describe the what and the why of his ministry, in which we will see that we ought to be concerned and we ought to be pursuing the godly maturity of those around us, that we would seek to encourage and push people down the road of faithfulness. So our timeless truth for this morning is this. If you, if you leave with one thing, as we look at Colossians 1, 28 and 29, is that we must be about faithfulness in others. That's our timeless truth, that we must be about faithfulness in others. And as we've already considered, what will that result in? God receiving glory. So with that, our structure for this morning, we're going to see four features of Paul's ministry. We're going to see the message, the means, the goal, and the work. Again, the the message, the means, the goal, and the work. So I'm going to I'm going to begin by reading our passage, Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 and 29. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So as we begin looking at Colossians chapter 1, I want to give a brief moment to consider the context and the background of this letter. Uh, the, The letter was written by Paul to the Colossian church while he was in prison in Rome. Uh, surprisingly, Paul is not the one who planted the Colossian church, uh, it was, uh, he, but he was instrumental in it. Uh, it is believed that Epaphras heard the gospel and was saved while Paul, was, Paul spent his years in, uh, in nearby Ephesus. So as Paul is church planning in Ephesus, uh, training those men, appointing elders, that Epaphras is one of those people who end up receiving that, that ministry that Paul was a part of and then goes to, the, goes to Colossae and plants this church. Now, so far, as, we, as, we, as we've already read in chapter 1, Paul has written his greeting. Uh, he shared his thankfulness and his prayer for them. Uh, and then he goes into this really well-known section on the supremacy of Jesus over all things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And I'm just going to read what Paul has, how Paul has just described our Lord. In verse 15, it says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, 
In 16, it says, by him all things were created. Later on, it says, all things have been created through him and for him. In 17, it says that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning. Uh, Move down to verse 20. Through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Uh, If you uh, are uh, familiar with the, the letter to the Colossian church, this is probably a section that just blows up in your mind. As you're, as you're reading this epistle and Paul begins to describe our Lord and Savior, Jesus, and he describes him in this way, I, the, the supremacy, the greatness that he is before all things, he is in all things, and all of these things were for him. Uh, it, it should jump off the page just to, to think of our Savior. And then as Paul continues in chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 24, Paul has then begun to talk on his ministry uh, that the Lord has given him. And so with that being said, that kind of leads us into where we're going to be in chapter uh, 1, verses 28 and 29. And so here we're going to just jump and we're going to do little pieces at a time, uh, starting in verse 28. And so this first part of our our outline is we're going to see the message of Paul's ministry. The message of Paul's ministry. And in this section, Paul is going to identify the message of his ministry unto the Lord. Uh, so look at me with just the first three words of uh, verse 28. We proclaim him. We proclaim him. Uh, helpfully, some translations will, will kind of change the words here and, and write, uh, him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. And, and I, I think that's helpful because it, what that does is it puts the emphasis on him at the very beginning. And you may ask, who is the him? It is Jesus. Uh, and and to, to not belabor the point, but this is everything that Paul has just spoken about in verses 15 to 20 of who Jesus is. So it says, him we proclaim, and speaking of Jesus, Jesus is the one in whom we proclaim. Everything that was just said, that is the one we proclaim. So as you look at this section, you may be, you may be uh, posed with the question, when he says proclaim, what, what is he speaking of? Is he speaking of uh, this is the content of his sermon, or is this the content of his ministry? And, and I believe the answer is yes. The answer is, I believe the answer is yes. I believe both are on display here with the means of his ministry being, and we'll see this as we keep going a little bit further, uh, teaching and admonishment. You can understand that both are at play. Uh, does admonishment happen from the pulpit? Yes, it does. Does admonishment happen at your coffee table or on the phone? Yes, it does. And the same could be said about teaching. Uh, and then I want to kind of flip, and if you guys, if you can, flip to Colossians chapter 3, and I want to listen to what Paul has to say about that same uh, word phrase of teaching and admonishment. So in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The same actions that are being described right after it says, Him we proclaim, are then being used to describe this, this word of Christ, which is, which is richly dwelling within us. Uh, one pastor, Smedley Yates, says this about this text, Him we proclaim. Uh, it is a summary statement of all that the New Testament does in unfolding the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In all the ramifications... The implications of knowing and following and obeying Christ. 
So the content of our ministry is this all-encompassed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only uh, the one who earned our salvation through the cross, but also is the focus of our sanctification. The process of becoming more and more like Christ. Think about what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 4 of, uh, in the, to the Colossians. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Look at, consider chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Uh, Therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now bu- being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. As you consider that, so not only is uh, Jesus this entry into salvation, but now as we think about our maturing, as we think about our sanctification, that Christ is, is what is being proclaimed in our lives. And this is not an uncommon reality. This is actually not an uncommon truth that Paul hits on. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says, But we preach Christ crucified. Now, in Acts chapter 5, it says, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I proclaimed as good news to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I proclaimed to you as good news, unless you believed it for nothing. For I delivered to you as of first importance. That's, this is right, right up there, front of the line. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I think it doesn't take long for us to step back and realize that Christ is rather important in Paul's ministry. Uh, he has referenced it throughout the scriptures. So he says, him we proclaim. This is the message of Paul's ministry. One pastor friend of mine calls this the subject matter of Paul's ministry. We are saved by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus, and in our lives we will seek to live for Jesus. So what does all of this mean? It means that our message is a person. Our message is a person. Our message is clear and it is known and it is not a surprise. The gospel the, the New Testament, the truth in which we are teaching is, is no surprise. It means that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the King. That He is God. That He really is the subject of our ministry. Jesus is our message. Our message isn't be a good person. Our message isn't live out good works. We have to remember that. Our message is not an option. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 will say, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We preach a person. God sent his son to be the ransom for us. The sinless God-man died on behalf of sinful man. That's who we are preaching. Believing that Jesus was killed and then walked out of the grave three days later, To the world, our message is foolishness. But by faith, we go and preach foolishness to a dying world because there is salvation in no other name. So what is the content? What is the message of Paul's ministry? It's Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ is whom we proclaim. Next, we're going to see the means of Paul's ministry. The means. So here we're going to see the means, or another word you could use is the instruments of Paul's ministry. So follow along. We're going to read the second part of uh, verse 28. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. The, the way this proclamation will take place, the, the way in which Paul says, we proclaim Christ is through this admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. This will be through uh, admonishing. This is the warning or correcting work. And then the instruction, the teaching is the instruction and the encouraging work. And so both of these are going to take place inside the realm of all wisdom. So it says admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. It's the means Paul uses in his ministry to train in faithfulness here are in summary form. As we already looked at, he uses this again in chapter 3 as he speaks on uh, the word of Christ richly dwelling within you, uh, that you would be then admonishing and teaching with your singing. In chapter 3, your singing has the ability to admonish or warn or instruct and teach. Uh, so these are a summary full, uh, form of, of, if you can imagine, putting these guardrails up. You have this, this warning ministry and then you have this teaching ministry. Uh, simply stated, this could be the corrective work and then the instructive work that we do uh, as believers. This word admonish, it's, it could also be translated to warn. Uh, the two Greek words here are mind and to place in or to put in. So if we kind of combine those two words together, it's a compound word meaning to place into the mind. So it's to, it's to, it's to put something in someone's mind. Uh, reasoning with someone by warning them. Admonished through instruction. It appeals to the mind. It's supplying doctrinal and spiritual content and urging them to choose, turn to God's best. It's, it's, it's this picture of, hey, you are, you are walking down this road that you should not be going. Let me, let me correct you so then you can be then going on the right. And this is a good thing. Admonishment is a good thing. This is a word if it is not a common word in your vocabulary as a believer, I would encourage you, make it one. Admonishment is a good thing. And, and, and consider this. If you are about God receiving glory, then you will want to encourage that in the lives of everyone around you. If you have a brother who is living a life that is not glorifying to the Lord, or if you have a sister or a friend, and they are not living, if they are walking in sin... We, because we love God, should admonish them. We should admonish them. We must be about the faithfulness of others for the glory of God. Again, I said it, it is a good thing. Because, this may, be, this may not be a surprise to you, we need help. We need help. As saints, we need help. We, we have not arrived. We are not complete. Uh, there are areas of our lives that need to be addressed. To ask this question, do you want to serve God the best? If there is a wayward mind in your, inside of you, if there's a wayward thought, if there are dark corners of your heart and mind that are not submitted unto Christ, don't you want those to be revealed? When you are aware of weakness in your faith, in your life, you then have the opportunity to repent and adjust 
and be more faithful because of it. And this is so good. It's so good when things are revealed. Can any of y'all think of a time when someone has come to you and brought warnings or corrections? Praise the Lord if you can. Praise the Lord. If, if, there, are, if there are saints in your life who love you enough to correct you and warn you, praise God for that person. That is, that is a tremendous gift. One of my elders usually quotes Proverbs 27, 6 as he's about to admonish me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And that is so true. It's so true. Consider if you were to see your child walking towards traffic, would you not change their direction? If you saw someone about to step on a snake, would you not change their direction? When we see a brother or a sister making decisions that are not faithful, that are not godly, we ought to consider how we might warn them. Admonishment can be difficult to receive uh, because we don't like being wrong, right? That's what we're saying. You are going the wrong direction. Brother, sister, let me help you. Let me bring you back. Let me draw you to the, the, the way in which is wise, the way in which is not sinful, it can be difficult because we don't like being wrong. And it can also be difficult because, and here's the other aspect of it, God uses imperfect, crooked sticks to do that admonishing work. He, he always uses sinful people to admonish. Consider uh, a, a good friend, Pastor Scott Maxwell, says this about how and where admonishment comes from. So admonishment, correction, warning, it always comes from a believer's limited, non-God perspective. It is incomplete and probably a distortion of the truth. And this is all that you can get from any person ever. I'm going to read that again. That when someone comes and shares truth to you and warns you, it is coming from a believer's limited, non-God perspective. We don't see everything. We don't know everything. It is incomplete and probably a distortion of the truth. I might be seeing something that's, I'm seeing it as a nine and maybe it's a four, but still that, that is who God is using. And this is the, this is all that you can ever get from any person ever. You will never have a sinless person rebuke you. You will never, it will always be a sinful person. And this is what uh, pastor Scott Maxwell says. He says, but God sent them. It is God who sent them. It is always going to be an imperfect being that is coming to admonish you. And so know that. Christian, know that. Right? What is one of the first things that we do when someone comes to correct us? I know your life. But you, that person, they're known for their sin. That person, they're not as mature as I am. We're so quick to, to, to take the camera off of our own lives and say, uh, you're broken, there's no way you're right. Or, or we, we just, we discredit them because of their, their imperfections. Church, it will always be an imperfect vessel. It will always be. So if you need perfection to correct you, be warned because they are not coming. God uses fellow imperfect believers to help us to see where we may be off and need help. And... Uh, then we're gonna, now we're going to see the second arm of Paul's ministry is this teaching. 
So we don't just say, hey, you're wrong, right? We don't just say, hey, there's a, you know, you're going the wrong way into traffic and then not say, hey, come this direction. We will then instruct and we will teach. There's this correcting work. There's this warning work that is given, but then there's this instruction. You stop them from walking into a hole and then you teach them the way they should be walking. Now, there is this, you could say there's this put off, put on action taking place. Warn the unfruit, unfaithful living and teach them into faithful living. And in this section, he then ends it with, with all wisdom. And it's such a shepherd's thought to add that. It's, and I, I praise the Lord for that. Lest we think that we have been given a, a sledgehammer and a, an air horn to walk around the church as God's vessel of admonishment and, and teaching. Wrong. That's not right. You're doing it wrong over there. That's sinful. And you just walk and you're just smashing people with a sledgehammer. No. Uh, he says, admonishing all men, teaching all men with all wisdom. It, it's not this you're walking around with a sledgehammer just hitting everybody where they need to be corrected, but that you're doing it with, it, with this God-given knowledge and form skill, this skill to then wield the truth. I'll reference 1 Thess 5, verses 12 and 14. It says, We ask you, brothers, to, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, listen, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. Yes, we, we have been given this instruction in how to come and, and correct and warn and admonish our fellow brother and sister in Christ. But there must be a, God, a God-given wisdom that is going to help us do so. There's this skill that's going to come. So it's going to be a lot more like a scalpel, a lot less like a butter knife. That we can come. And what is, what is the heart that comes, that comes to then us bringing those admonishments? Why would we do such a thing? Because we want ourselves to feel better? No. Because we want our brothers to serve better. We want our sister in Christ to be serving faithfully. And we see there is, there is waywardness. Let me come alongside you because I care and I love you. One of, my, one of my pastors says, as you prepare to, to go and speak to a brother or a sister, that your knees would be bruised. And what's the point? That I have bathed this moment. I have bathed this, this interaction in prayer, recognizing that I am, I am probably not seeing this thing clearly and recognizing that uh, it has to be for God that I'm doing this. It's not because, man, I just really want to make myself feel better. And this is the person who I compete against in church. And so if I can, if I can come tell them, well, hey, listen, you're not doing well, that's going to then make me feel better. No, that we would, that we would be, because we believe God, because we believe God's word, because we love our fellow man, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would want to then help them to serve God better. So what does all of this mean? It means that our ministry is close range. Uh, it means that our ministry is for all. Uh, Paul writing, he says that we would admonish every man, teaching every man. Uh, it means that our ministry requires wisdom. And we must be humble and holy. We must be striving for godliness. Uh, here's, here's just a, a thought. If you are known for your sin in the church, you will deafen the person you try to admonish. If you are a, hypo a hypocrite, your admonishment will, will be 
one of the hardest pills anyone will have to swallow because of that. If you are known for your sin, and the reality is, if you are not striving after the Lord, you won't admonish. You, you won't. You, you won't because you know, I, I know my own heart. I know my own life. If anyone knew that I was doing these things, I would not be able to pursue after these people. It's just a further encouragement for us to be pursuing after our Lord. Think about that. If we are not well, if we are not well vertically, we are put on the shelf and useless for our, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. May it never be. Our ministry should have a long-term view. It's interesting. Jesus in, in the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28 says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. There's this instruction that's been given, and it's not like a one and done. This isn't like, oh, now I've corrected you and admonished you. Be free and sin no more. There's this long-term view of ministry. And this isn't going to happen overnight. Uh, salvation is not merely the finish line. We ought to fight for the faithfulness that brings God glory in those around us. If ministry were solely about salvation, if it were solely about the salvation of others, we would not have churches. You understand that? If we were only about salvation, we would not have churches. We would have places where we attract unbelievers and only share the gospel. We would offer no care for the sheep. It is tough to approach someone in admonishment. It is tough to approach someone in correction and teaching because we know our own sin. Church, I would encourage you. This takes humility and it also requires faith that we would obey God in this. God is the one who has called us to do these things. So as we transition, we're going to look at the third uh, aspect of Paul's ministry. And this is going to be the goal of Paul's ministry. All arrows of the text so far have been pointing here. Uh, here we see the reason or the, the purpose or the goal of Paul's ministry. This is ultimately the spiritual maturity of all believers. So look at the end of verse 28. It says, So that we may present every man complete in Christ. The connection of our first two descriptions of his ministry are here connected with this word, these words, so that. These words, so that. And I, I trust that you, as you are at home reading the Bible, and as uh, your elders are faithfully expounding God's word, when this word comes up, our, our ears may perk up a little bit, and we realize something is happening. Uh, Paul is putting together uh, this highlighted section in this verse. When he says, so that, you could, you could underline the next, section, the next section and say, this is going to be important. This is going to be important. He's, he's put these aspects. So Paul is putting a highlighter on this section and saying, this is why. This is why we do these things. Listen to verse 28 all together as we read it. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's the goal. That's the purpose. Why do we preach Christ? Why do we admonish? Why do we teach with all wisdom? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul is describing his ministry and then draws us in and says, this is why. This is why we do it. Uh, we want to spur people on to godliness. Listen to how he describes this same desire that Jesus had in his death in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. But now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. 
matured. The ministry and message that was being represented is one that transforms those from darkness and into light and then teaches them to be faithful. It teaches them to be faithful and to grow in sanctification for the glory of God. This idea, complete in Christ, speaks to the spiritual maturity of believers, that there is this maturity in your mind and your faithfulness and your fighting sin in your God-glorifying life, that you are complete in Christ. Uh, maybe to help illustrate this, I want you to consider uh, how you would feel if your best friend, consider their best friend, your son, your daughter, if they, they became a believer while living in Dallas, Texas. Someone that you had been praying for and sharing the gospel with. They, they in faith, believe the gospel and they lived in Dallas, Texas. And you heard through your relationship that as they were living in Texas as a believer, that they were going to the worst church in town where the gospel is not preached, the word of God is not opened, that it, it, there is a mockery that is happening, that the elders are living in idolatry. How would you feel? How many of us would be, well, at least they're in Christ? We wouldn't. We, we would be heartbroken because our friend or our, our family member is not in a place where they can be sanctified, where they can be faithfully glorifying the Lord in this life. We would plead with them to leave and go to a strong church where, the God, where God's word is being proclaimed, where godly men are leading. One, of, uh, one that was faithful, where they, where they could be taught and served and be serving themselves. Consider that. We must be about the faithfulness of others. We should be considering the sanctification of our brothers and sisters in Christ at all times. Pastor Kent Hughes says this on this verse. Paul's great joy was to present, the, the, was to, present to Christ believers who have reached their maximum earthly potential. If we are growing in godliness and striving to be faithful, God is glorified. And if our brother and sister is growing in godliness and striving after the Lord, God is being glorified. So what does this mean? Uh, unlike our, our, uh, one of our four, 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 four fathers, Cain, right? We are our brother's keeper. We are. We should be in the business of sanctification for ourselves and for those who are sitting next to us. Our focus on people goes past them to God. That we want them to be more faithful. Why? So that they would glorify God. Our efforts don't automatically promise us the fruit of faithfulness. Now, I want you to consider uh, what he says in verse 28. It says that we may present. The, the, the use of that word, it's a subjunctive. It, it's, it's, it has this desire. But can any of us do the work of sanctification in someone's life? Who does it? The Spirit. So we would be faithful that we would teach and proclaim Christ and admonish that we may present, that we might be used, that the Spirit would then grow them in sanctification, that the Spirit would then grow them into what they ought to be. So there's not this guarantee, but this is still our responsibility. This also doesn't mean uh, that we are, we are trying to do a lookalike competition. It doesn't mean that everyone, every man in this room has to look like Pastor Gary, although we would love it, right? Although there is so much that we could, that we could pursue after in, in, in godliness, 
at the end of the day, it's not a work of cloning people. Maturing Christ is not cloning. It's not like we look at this one person and say, that's what I need to be like. It's a work of people being grown into the best version of who God has created them to be. Who has God created you to be? How has he gifted you? And, and grow into that. The truth is some of us, uh, some people are going to have different strengths and different gifts. And some of us will have more than others. And, 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 and seriously, uh, as we consider where we line up in that, doesn't matter. We have been given gifts and we need to use them unto the Lord. Here's the reality. Some of us can't sing well. What's that mean? We're just not going to give you a mic. <laughs> you, you, you still sit in the pews and sing unto the Lord faithfully, but you're not going to be given a mic because that's not what the Lord has saw fit to give you as a gift on this life. And that's okay. That is okay. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 12 says as we consider uh, being uh, individual gifts, body members. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 20 says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We, we are all, we have all been hand chosen by God and hand given by God. God has chose how he wanted to, to give us gifts. And that's how we are. So, again, this is another aspect that is challenging. I'd love to say that sanctification, this, this faithfulness in others, is all rainbows and flowers, but it's not. It's labor. As we seek to pursue after growing others towards faithfulness, it is a labor. To desire that people would grow in maturity is right. The challenge is that we don't always want it. We don't always want to go through the process, maybe more clearly said. Whether it be in failure or sin, being sinned against, trials, adversity, persecutions, admonishment, all of these are the things that play into our sanctification. Listen to what Psalm 119.71 says. And, the, and ask yourself if this is your prayer. Ask yourself if this is your cry at night. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Church, some of the most challenging days of our lives are exactly what God has used to grow us the most. Know that. Sanctification hurts because it means that we're not perfect. It means that some of us is being rooted out of us, so that way we can be more like Christ. It is our faith in God and His Word that carries us to remain steadfast and patient with those around us who are not yet mature. I once read of a missionary who was, uh, in, during Christmas time, handing out gifts to people in the village. And while he was doing this work of just trying to serve people, someone stole his sandals. And I just thought, man, that's such a good picture. Uh, of this process of we we want people to grow in Christ. But the reality is we're working with people who are sinful, who have that residual uh, sin work in them that is just needing to be sanctified. I have a, one of my old seminary professors calls it the a sin hangover. We're in Christ, we're new, but we have this this residual decay still on us. We have to be about faithfulness of people because we believe and obey God. And then lastly, we're going to see the workers of Paul's ministry. Here we're going to see that his labor is hard, it's a struggle, it's agonizing, and yet we'll see it is for the faithfulness of others to the glory of God, and it is God-fueled. Our work is God-fueled. God is the supplier of the gas and the strength that Paul has in ministry. Look at verse 29. For this purpose, I also I labor, 
striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. As in the previous section, he connects verse 29 upwards to that we may present everyone complete in Christ. With this connection, he says, for this purpose also. For this purpose also. So the so that was pointing forward and then for this purpose, now he's pointing back. So this purpose is for the labor, the strength that he has is for the faithfulness of others, this sanctification, this maturity. These terms, labor and striving, are focused on the ministry sweat that Paul spends striving and toil to the point of exhaustion. It is to struggle through something. Paul is laboring for the saints according to his power, God's power, which mightily works within him. He is laboring with all power, all gas, all strength that God supplies. Everything he does is, is with strength that God supplies. Who are the workers in Paul's ministry? Paul. It's Paul. And it's God. Right? It is God who is sustaining and granting everything that he has. Paul, through the power of God. Paul is toiling for the faithfulness of others to the glory of God by the power of God. So what does all this mean? means that our strength is supplied by the all-powerful God who rules the universe. The Father of lights, right? Who gives all good gifts. And we don't just close our eyes and act like a robot and God drives the robot. No, we work. We toil. But we recognize that it is God who supplies this strength by His power. We have faith that God will give us the strength to do the work. He's calling us to, apart from uh, what God... Uh, sorry, apart from God... None of us have the strength to get out of bed. The air in our lungs is a gift from Him. The strength that we have to stand and walk and speak is all supplied by God. We are utterly dependent upon Him. So as we look at and we consider these four aspects of Paul's ministry, well, let's, let's see if we can tie it all together. So we've heard this message, we've seen the means, we've seen the goal, and we've seen the work of Paul's ministry. So what do we do with this? His ministry was about the faithfulness of others. Paul's ministry was he wanted to present others mature in Christ because then they can glorify God to their highest potential and help others to do so others as well. Remember what our timeless truth is, that we must be about the faithfulness of others. So here's the question. How are we doing? Do we consider our brothers and sisters sitting to our left and to our right? As a believer, are you being matured? Can you look back at the year ahead, at the year behind you, I mean, and, and consider, this is where the Lord's brought me. This is what the Lord has done this year. And I pray he continues. Are you more faithful this year than last? Are you on the fringe as you consider your, your toil and your labor and as a churchman? Do you find yourself, ah, I'm not really going to go to those things. I'm not going to really be plugged in with church. I'm not going to really do the things that the elders keep saying we ought to be doing. We ought to pursue faithfulness for ourselves and then look to our brothers in Christ and seek to encourage. We can do this for all people. We can seek to encourage all people. If they're not in Christ, if there are unbelievers, that we would share Christ with them, that we would share the gospel, that they may be in Christ. And then for the believers, that we would be encouraging them to be more like Christ. Just a, a thought as we kind of step away. This type of thinking absolutely removes all kind of pride and competitiveness towards others. It cultivates brultherly love. It, it cultivates brotherly love. So beloved, 
We ought to be about faithfulness in others. We must be. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are kind and you are gracious. And we, uh, we are prone to wander. We, we are needy. We are dependent. And, and God, I pray that you would help us to have uh, hearts and minds that would seek to apply uh, this passage to them. God that, with God, that we would be implicated by your truth and that our lives would, would have to stand before a mirror and we would have to ask ourselves, God, what do we do with this? I pray that you would help us as a church to not just be hearers, but doers. That we would hear and do your word. God, thank you for uh, the, the way that you have instructed us through your word. And thank you for the way that you have given it to us. God, your word is profitable. It is fruitful. It does not return void. Uh, and God, I ask that uh, as a church that we would... Uh, that we would seek to to glorify you in every aspect, mm-hmm. in eating and in drinking, mm-hmm. and that we would truly be that we would be fixed and focused on those who are around us. That we would love them enough to tell them the truth, and that we would do it with wisdom and gentleness, and that we would do it for your glory. Help us, God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.